Underneath the shadowy canopy of the Twelve's Wood, darkness festers in a wooded manner. Born of great pain and enabled by the meddling of the Asians, it is time to bring light to the tainted halls of Hawk Manor. I'm Nero. And I'm Jane. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. And welcome back. Today we are, in fact, uh, dealing with the dark and dank halls of the opulent Hawk Manor. We're like a month early for a Halloween episode, but sometimes that's just how it goes, you know? Yeah, listen, September is basically the start of Halloween, and it doesn't really end until December starts, so uh, it all works out. So this week, yeah, so this week is kind of a weird part of our own reborn. I would say this is like basically the closest it ever gets to a real fucking filler arc. Yeah, this, it's it's very fillery. Nothing that happens here really matters. You don't even talk to La Habrea. You talk to two of his fucking goons. Yeah, this is a real like monster of the week kind of kind of situation here. This is just like a it, it is it is just filler. It it is it's a completely self-contained little mini story and it is based around basically a Scooby-Doo episode plot. Yeah, it's sort of it's 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 one part Scooby-Doo, one part like classic gothic horror tropes. So we open up here with Menphilia yet again informing you that, hey, there's some Asian shit going on somewhere. This time, uh, he so he or someone matching his description, a, a masked, robed figure, has been spotted up in the North Shroud, where there have yes. been a lot of grisly murders going on lately. Yes, a few of the a few of the cabbages have reported in that they're uh, they're very concerned about all this murder business. So uh, you you head on over there to the somewhat blighted North Shroud. This is the part of the Shroud that got hit the hardest by the Calamity. So all those bits where they're like, oh, the Elementals are a lot weaker than usual. Well, this is why. It appears that about, oh, a solid third of the Twelves wood has been um, reduced to cinders. Yeah. Uh, so you head up there and you sort of start picking up tips around town and eventually hear about a guy who won't shut the fuck up about seeing a big eyeball. And you're like, well, that sounds suspicious. Yes, his name is Medrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's he's having a rough one. You know, he's, he's a little bit uh, shaken up. I mean, he saw a horribly mutilated corpse and an eyeball. That's going to, you know, it's going to make you a little bit on edge typically but you know what a nice hug cheers him right up that's right specifically the way the corpse has been mutilated is that the face has been mangled beyond all recognition um and there was a woman who he stumbled across then this giant floating eyeball appeared and at first uh, what he tells you at first is like he thinks maybe he saw a servant of Thal taking a poor soul to the underworld. Thal, of course, being the death part of the Nald Thal duo. Yes, but indeed it is a little bit more sinister than that. So you begin your investigation. Uh, Medrid here is joined by his two friends, Ivervalt and. Ideen. 
Ideen, yes. I forgot to write her name down. And, well, how could you forget these well-rounded and important characters? I know, I know. Real shame on me. But, uh, but yes, yeah, so they begin their investigation. And the first thing they want to rule out is that it's not just a big velociraptor bird. Um, to be fair, I imagine maulings by big velociraptor birds are not uncommon in the Twelves Wood. Yeah, they have a lot of ziz around, who I think you're underselling how fucked up these things look. They're like, they're like, they are birds, I guess, if you squint. Um, they've got weird little neck flaps and fucked up looking faces, and they're just all over the goddamn place. They're the final boss form of the cassowary, uh, which is already a very dangerous animal. Listen, we already know what the final boss form of the cassowary is. It was called the terror bird, and thankfully they don't exist anymore. (laughs) That's true. So you go and kill, uh, guess what, three of them. It's a video game after all. And it turns out there's no sign that any of these creatures have, have done anything untoward lately. So rule that one right out. It is probably indeed foul play. Yes. One of the other rumors, though, is that a mysterious rock of rancor is sucking the souls of the dead and moaning into the night. But that's just some rocks. It's just a, it's just a rock with a lot of uh, lightning aether crystal in it, so it kind of makes weird noises and glows. Yeah. Uh, and the the Ival encounter that uh, Ivervault had by the rock of rancor. Um, was just a big scorpion. Just a just normal scorpion. You yeah. kill it. Um, everyone's like, wow, good job at killing that scorpion. So you've learned basically nothing other than uh, Ideen. A- Ideen actually does give you a little bit of real info, which is that every victim that they have found so far is a, a beautiful woman with her face, like, mangled. So, like, we, ha- we have, a, like, a victim profile, but we literally know nothing else. Yeah, we have very little information about these murders, but after, you know, going on a little bit of this investigating, um, everyone comes to the conclusion that Ivervault and Medrid both did indeed see a floating eyeball. Ivervault is like, oh, this is, I, I saw it after I saw the scorpion or whatever. But And the conclusion they come to is that there must be more than one which everyone just sort of looks at each other and does a big cartoon gulp and says, oh, well, zoinks, that's a little bit scary. I'm going to leave this to the professionals. Yeah, they all, they all tell you, uh, good luck, and sit back down. Uh, they, they will not be <laughs> continuing along with your journey. So you you go, Medrid points you to the to sort of the, uh, the area where he, he saw the eyeball, and you head over there, and guess what? You find the corpse of a woman with her face torn off and guess what else you find big floating eyeball yeah the eyeball that was just tearing face uh a fresh face is all over its claws and you know you, re- you really caught this guy red-handed uh he's he's got egg on his face for sure so you uh you 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 do you do him a solid and and take him out of his his embarrassment and misery and you pick up this uh, this lady's corpse, which uh, I, I think we mentioned this before the last time we had to pick up corpses. It's a thing you do in ARR, um, but I think it's it's like a it's like a nice touch that when you have like a corpse in your inventory, it's like uh, a white lily. 
yeah. instead of like you know like a pile of bones or like whatever skull yeah and so you uh, less you know nice and poetic is that you take this corpse drop it right in the middle of the adder station up here in Falgord float uh, where this investigation <laughs> is taking place and the, and, the, and the guy in charge looks over and goes oh fuck not again you just start it, literally. You just drop this body in the middle of the fucking room. It's like, hey, what's up with this? And this dude is like, oh god, and he's like trying not to throw up from like the fact that it's a horribly mutilated corpse. And he's like, yeah, this uh, this has been happening a lot recently, uh, all over the shroud, in fact, which is very concerning that it's happening everywhere. And all young women uh, with, uh, you know, young women who have been described as beautiful, all having their faces completely destroyed after they're killed. So we're, we're dealing with a bit of a serial killer situation. Yes, and so this guy sort of investigates the body and, and only finds one clue. Uh, the woman has a, a little engraved button in her pocket with a lily on it. And he's like, well, I have no idea what this means, but uh, Mother Mion might know something about it. You should probably bring it to her. Yeah, so Mother Mion as the purveyor of the uh, of the inn in Gridania. Do we actually, do you know what that inn is called? I can't remember. It's called The Roost. The Roost. So purveyor of The Roost. So she may be in on some information, but uh, no, actually she has no information. You show her the button uh and she's like oh what's that that's lovely oh it's from a corpse great i'm gonna go wash my hands now um <laughs> thank you uh yeah but she she tells you like all right there's there's a few people around who might be able to know there's a there's a member of the wood whalers named benedetta who is you know she's got sharp eyes and she also shares a name with that one lesbian nun movie that came out a couple of years ago okay well, hey, there you just go just a fun just a fun fact some some trivia for you, everybody. So she looks at this, and she has a little bit more information than what uh, Mion offers. She's like, well, that definitely looks like it was made here. I don't really know my Gridanian history very well. Maybe you can talk to this lady up in the Lancers Guild. Yes, and the lady in the Lancers Guild is presumably, or, or at least according to, to everybody else, uh, knows everybody in Gridania on a first-name basis, which... Seems a little difficult, but I guess Gridania is probably the least populated of the three major cities. Considering you have to fucking kowtow to a bunch of bullshit the trees want? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's basically elf town only, except sometimes, sometimes they pull the racism barriers down for like a second. But yeah, so so you, you go up to this lady and she's like, well, you know, I'm not really familiar with this symbol, but... It does look like it could belong to one of the old Gridanian, like, noble houses. So why don't you go to the rich part of town? All right, hang on. Hold up. This is a lot of information that we're learning right now that is weird about Gridania. First of all, why does Gridania have noble houses? I thought Gridania was supposed to be the in-tune-with-nature-live-off-the-woods type shit. Well, listen, some some elves get to live off of the woods more than others, apparently. They get access to the good berries. Like, obviously, the thing about this, right, is that obviously this is the part of the gothic horror story where you, you find the old heiress or whatever, and you and you dig into the, the family history and find all sorts of fucked up shit in there, right? Yeah. So that's that's what's happening here. 
But it's very strange uh, that we're only just now learning, oh yeah, Gridania has a rich part of town and also a bunch of noble houses that have their own sigils. Like, what? Yeah, this, by the way, is information that I'm pretty certain, unless it's in some side quests I've never done, I'm pretty certain literally never, ever becomes relevant again. No. I don't think anyone ever mentions rich Gridanians ever again. You hear about that shit all the time with Ulda. Yeah. And even sometimes with Limza. Never after this with Gridania. If, if you want stories about, like, noble houses or, or, or like, the, the wealthy elites doing shit, yeah, either go to Ulda or Ishgard. Ishgard has a ton of noble houses with a bunch of history. But, because Ishgard isn't in the story yet, we have to put this thing here, and, like, it, it ju- it's just it's just a detail that immediately stuck out to me. Like, well, that's weird. That doesn't fit at all. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, it doesn't fit super well. And if it was, like, and if it was like something that I thought they were doing to sort of further show that you know gradania's hypocrisy as as a city of like we are we are in tune with the woods and yet we are we you know may, but we use that as an excuse to exclude people and we have our own wealthy elites who just pretend that they're nice and peaceful uh, wood folk but like i said the real answer is that this is what happens in a gothic horror story yeah i mean you you can you can choose to take the information as like a, you know exposing Gridania's hypocrisy and it does work in that regard certainly but yeah it is sort of it's a bit shoehorned but really this kind of whole plot thread is it's very like it's very much a situation of I think and this is speculation and me assuming things but I think probably it's a situation of like they had to write ARR very quickly, and they had a general idea of what the storyline of ARR was going to be, but they definitely had gaps in in the armor there. They had they had gaps in that storytelling where they had to fill out uh, specific, you know, bits of the of the of the MSQ here with something, and and so we get a fun little murder mystery story. I think maybe what happened here is that someone just wanted to write a murder mystery and they said, fuck it, put it in, we'll, we'll put it in somewhere. Or that. Just write us a little thing. You know. Uh, which, because, like, yeah, they were just scrambling to put anything. Yeah. They, you gotta fill 50 levels of game. Sometimes you're just gonna be like, alright, fuck it, murder mystery. Honestly, it feels a lot like, like, thinking about it, it literally feels like a side quest chain. Like, it feels like a side quest chain in a side quest dungeon, because, uh... Because yeah. a lot of the, the, the older portions of the game have, like, whole side quest dungeons. That doesn't happen as much in the modern game, but back in this portion of the game, uh, there's quite a few of them. And, that, and that's what it feels like. It's even, like, very out of the way. Like, getting to Hawk Manor is... It's, it's very out of the way. It is far away from everything else. You have to go to, like, a part of the shroud that you wouldn't normally go to. It, where usually most of the like story dungeons are kind of centrally located. Yeah, you know, I'm beginning to piece some a theory together in my head because of this discussion, right? Mm. So I, I think you're right. I think this was originally side content, but time was running low, and they were like, well, shit, there's a fucking huge gap between Thousand Miles of Total Rock and the Titan fight coming up. That's like almost that's that's like eleven levels of content with no dungeons or anything. So you're like, well, shit. Do we have any like side stuff that we can sort of force in here? 
And so this is how you get Hawk Manor, this very out of the way, seemingly unimportant dungeon with these this, uh, these appearances by the Asians that feel so flimsy, even their, you know, their, their reason for doing we all this. We wanted to like test your metal, Barely anything. And they aren't, it's not. <laughs> and it's not even, it's not even La Habrea, who at this point is like the guy, he's already shown up in a dungeon. He's, he's been in Total Rock. And so the fact that it isn't La Habrea and it's just two of his random black masked guys is like, they totally chose a dungeon that they had to fit in here because to fill this content gap because also this this question is remarkably yeah, short. Yeah, it's super short. There's basically like the that whole bit we just talked about with like the Scooby-Doo gang, that is like like we breeze through that pretty quickly talking about it. It is probably about that fast to play through it, frankly. It is it is like that. It is basically no content. It's like four quests, and it's like, go here, click on a thing, go here, kill three guys, which isn't that out of place for ARR, but, like, typically there's a little bit more, like, in between, like, those portions, and they usually send you farther out of your way. That's, like, the thing you do at the start of an area, like, when you're helping out around a place to help people gain trust in you, right? Like, that's the start of Little Alamigo, was, like, go kill some guys, and then we'll, we'll talk about other stuff. But, like, you do that. Then you get here, and immediately you go to the rich part of town and find an old man sitting on a bench. And he's like, all right, hey, uh, how did, I, I see you have uh, this lily marker. Let me tell you all of my sins. Yeah, th- okay, so this is the this is the most hilarious thing. You, yes. you walk up to this dude who is sitting on the bench next to, like, the fancy gate, the guarded fancy gate to the gated rich elf community. What is going on here? <laughs> it's so funny. Literally, you just talk to the guy. He's like, "Nah, you can't come in. You're not rich enough." It's very, you very can't funny. even. Yeah, you can't go in here. You're the fucking warrior of light. Like I, what is going on in the rich part of Elf? Listen, there's some fucking eyes wide shit shit going on in that Elf in in rich Gridania town. Like I'm telling you. Listen, that will it'll all be explained in Hawk Manor Hard coming <laughs> coming soon. I think there is actually a Hawk Manor hard. Is I've there? I've never done. I've never done it. I I believe. I you. think there's. I think there's a. I think there's a hard version of every ARR dungeon. I believe. Interesting. Except the, the final ones, obviously. Interesting. Yeah, but I've never. I have no idea what it's about or what goes on in it. Oh, well, we'll find out someday. We will. But yeah. So this guy is named Orundel, and he's like, ah, my my time has come. I see. I must tell you about all the fucked up shit that went on in my in 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 the house that I served in. Yeah, he he literally even just tells you I was I was never going to tell anyone ever in my whole life. I was just going to sit on this bench forever <laughs> until you confronted me and now I will bear all of my sins for you random person. All right, man. I just brought you a button. So <laughs> He tells you he was he was a, a butler to the Darthancourt family, a, a wealthy clan of great renown. Um, and in particular, he served the Lady of Hawk Manor, uh, a beautiful young heiress named uh, Lady Amandine. Um, during the Calamity, she, she survived the Calamity. However, she was horrifically injured during it, and her face was like, 
permanently disfigured and so she was sort of driven into this she became a hermit she was driven into a depression she refused to see anyone but then one day she started accepting visitors again and there were these strange men in black robes and black masks who would go in for hours at a time and then leave and he never knew what they were talking about Yes, they would come. They would come and knock on the front door of Hawk Manor, and they would be telling her about the rituals of rejuvenation that they brought with her, uh, brought with them for her to use. And just like this, unfortunately, our good Lady Amandine was suckered into a multi-level marketing scheme. That is kind of what the Asians are. They're like a they're like a multi-level marketing scheme for trauma. Where like. <laughs> Hey, you've you your life has been upended and you've been, and you've been caused unimaginable pain. I can help you with that, and then like you die horribly, <laughs> basically. So yeah, I mean this is it's, so yeah. He says that you know the rites started innocently enough, just some funny rituals or whatever, usual rich person stuff. Mm-hmm. Then she started killing her chambermaids. Yeah, I mean, this is this is how all of that stuff goes. Just yes. talk to somebody who got into Herbalife. They'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> you start knocking door to door, uh, and eventually you, you tie your friend to a bed and, and carve her face off to wear, like, a mask. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Amandine did that part, but, you know. But, like, this is, like, this is the most straight out of a fucking... 18 mid late 1800s gothic horror tropey horror story right like ah the the beautiful rich heiress driven mad by losing her beauty sinks deeper and deeper and in, into depravity giving up more of hum- her, her humanity to gain it back this is like the 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 legends about elizabeth bathory and 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 the the thing that draws people to dracula like this is all very basic stuff yeah it's 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 all it's all the very basic sort of underpinnings of, of all that which, which typically which typically revolve around uh <laughs> which typically revolve around women being very uh obsessed with their looks and yes. also with men uh which is you know she has the hysteria she has she has women's disease unfortunately right. i've like, got it too listen it's it's, it's an affliction so yeah I mean, although i think the legends around elizabeth bathory was that she just did that because she was a sicko which i guess is better uh in terms of just <laughs> fiction it's just like no nah, she just wanted to bathe in the blood of women for fun i guess yeah, well, Just for a I mean, laugh. listen, we, we we've we've all got our 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 vices, I suppose. So he basically tells you, look, I I I ran away in shame because after after she murdered that first girl, but it, she never stopped, and I I I have I've been here in in my vow of silence forever. It's like maybe you should have gone to the adders, like yeah, maybe you should have gone to like anyone, s- somebody, like look, anyone. I, I know, I know you feel a great shame about failing your lady or whatever, but like she is kidnapping people and tearing their faces off, and then having a flying eyeball dump them in the woods. Yeah, and I, I, the thing about the way he describes the timeline is really weird. Like it's hard to tell if like. 
she's been just doing this for years and then suddenly ramped up or if like it, it has been five years since the calamity and it, uh, i guess it is like like it is it, hard to tell when did the Asians begin to get involved right like yeah how when when was the first murder and now she's do you know she's killing multiple women a day she's got a horde of servants like we'll, we'll see it later but like when did she transfigure into a demon like did we never really yeah. get that but regardless he says you you gotta go in and, and put her down we ha- she must be stopped yeah, and you're like, you got it, pal. Give him a give him a thumbs up, and you walk over to the Hawk Manor, which is uh, again just to just to point out where this thing is, right? So this is like a rich person's manor in 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 the woods, right? But it's like it it is through like the most like bog ass bog that you could ever trudge through it's like these shabby wooden plank bridges over like gooble infested or goobu infested or like uh what what are those guys called not Uh, morble morble infested bogs uh and and they're just all like belching horrible smells at you while you try and walk past them it just seems like a very unpleasant place to live, frankly. Yeah, presumably all of that stuff happened, like, post-Calamity, probably. Like, the the Morbles probably moved in after all that, when whatever part of the forest they lived in got blown up. But, all, yeah, you're right, it is literally just so out of the way compared to most other story dungeons. And, like, it's it's, it's literally in, like, the back of a map. Yeah. in the back of the central shroud just like you had to go up to like it's it's very strange but hey i guess this is part of the main scenario quest so without further ado let us crack open the dusty and darkened halls of the level 28 dungeon hawk manor mansion vibe to it both on the outside and the inside a little bit um, and the music which you're hearing right now it's uh it, just imagine for a moment what would a final fantasy dungeon that is also a haunted house look like yep you got it that's hawk manor you did it yeah yeah you you, you got there good job everybody so hawk manor was actually worked uh, a very small amount it, it's not much uh, but they changed a couple of things First off, the there are these wandering, like, succubi kind of demon ladies who will wander the halls. Um, and the way that they mostly used to work is that very, very, very frequently they would do a big AoE that would stun you. And you had to either interrupt this or stop what you were doing, get out of the circle, then go back into resuming attacking and they do that less frequently now as far as i can tell it 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 was it was more or less you know as soon as one ended like another would basically start up almost immediately so so now it is less frequent which is nice i think the big change is that before it was literally the first thing they did now it's like just another one of their attacks instead um yeah so there's that the second thing that they changed is related to going to the second boss so two things one so you go down this real big staircase which has enemies on it but most people skip the staircase 
to just jump down to the bottom of of the of the stairs and skip all that stuff. They removed the ads on the stairs so that it's just the enemies on the bottom. Second of all, and much much more old ARR style jank. Once you beat the second boss, who are these like it's it's like an imp and a skeleton, literally just resed up like sized up in Photoshop versions of the imp and skeleton enemies. You were before you had to hit the return button or go all the way up the stairs to get back to the main hall where you have to advance. This yeah. would trip new players up constantly because why the fuck would you ever hit return in the middle of a dungeon? Yeah, like if you don't know what everyone's doing, like you'll 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 just go grab the little piece of like parchment you're supposed to pick up, and then you'll look behind you, and all three other people that were with you are gone, and you're you're just like, well, what do I do now? And you try to walk up the stairs and get ganked by like a horde of skeletons and die, uh, but now now it's uh, it's a little bit less uh, new player hostile. You have a thing to click on, the Ethereal Flow, which, if you've done the optional level 20 dungeon Halatali, which is like, it's like soft optional because it has a bunch of stuff in your grand company hunting log in it, so everyone ends up doing it anyway. Mm. Uh, But that has these Ethereal Flows that bring you to the next floor, so you already know what to do here. Yes. And so yeah, once you do that, the third thing that they have changed is the final boss yourself. I didn't talk about the first boss. Because once again, it is literally just an up, uh, upsized succubus enemy, which also is kind of what Lady Amandine is. She looks a little different, but yeah, like she's got she's got like a color swap. Like she's got her own palette. She like it's it's funny, right? Because there's the big dramatic thing where all of the darkness overtakes the arena. Like what happens when there's Assy and meddling afoot? But it's just it's just some fucking lady who started murdering people and turned into a, a demon. Yeah, it is just a lady who turned into a demon. So you you do use your little the the piece of the scrap of crumpled bewitched parchment to uh, dissolve the evil barrier to get upstairs to her bedroom and and chase an eyeball in there. And this fight is very well. Okay, it's it is, pretty different. It, it yeah, is it's, actually it's fairly different. different. They removed the main mechanic it had before, which were these four lamps in each corner of the room that would sometimes light and constantly do uh, raid damage, like small amounts of raid damage until you turn them off. They all, It also just had like a completely complete clusterfuck of an ad phase where just like seven guys would spawn and your tank would have to like scramble to pick them up. Uh, but now it has a, this lady has a much more sensible ad phase. She also has a tank buster, which is interesting. She does, and it's even got the tank buster uh, new yes. uh, new uh, symbology with it, yeah. which is which is nice. Again, I I think it's like a really nice touch that they've sort of added that symbolism to try and like backfill it in, make it more universal, so people kind of know what's going on later on in the game. Like it's it's a nice touch. Yeah. So you kill her, and before we talk about the end of the thing, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the actual atmosphere of Hawk Manor because I actually think this is a pretty alright dungeon. Yeah, it's not too bad. It has ARR disease, which means it has a bunch of useless little corridors uh, and and side rooms that don't have anything in them. 
Yeah. There, there are like three people in the world that have the Hawk Manor exploration achievement, and we're two of them. But the thing is, the, the thing I appreciate about Hawk Manor is that it does actually feel like a manor house it, it is laid out sensibly like a manor house would be granted it does have a gigantic torture dungeon i guess but you know she put that in a few years ago to uh torture people in presumably um yeah, it's it's normal it's fine and also all of the doors are uh 20 feet tall but that that's just dungeons for you <laughs> yeah some rich people got the big doors right like but yeah, generally, some rich people have like seventy-five foot tall generally, ceilings. Generally, not in the inside of the house. That's usually the main door that's really big. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like Hawk Manor is just a. F- it's fine. I think they also like. I noticed visual changes when we played it from from how it used to be. I think they made it less dusty and 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 abandoned looking. I, I feel like. They kind of went back on that, I guess, because it hasn't. It's been occupied this whole time. It's just that, like, the woman who occupies it is now a demon. Yeah, they're they're very subtle uh, visual changes. We think uh, to to the dungeon. I, I think there's a few. They've they've decluttered a lot of the boss arenas they've taken a lot of yeah but that's kind of par arenas. for the course with a lot of these reworked older dungeons is most of the time the biggest changes are typically to try and make the boss arenas more in line with the way that they function now which is to say typically big empty circles that have some set dressing on the perimeter of the circle um which you know there's pros and cons to that design approach, but certainly I think just from a mechanical standpoint, just from the the standpoint of like making things a little bit clearer, more well defined, easier to move around in for like a player character, I think it's generally a good change. So you you beat Lady Amandine, the Asians show up, and it's not Lahabrea, as I said, it's just his goons. Uh, yeah, this the... time we do get names for what these guys are, though. Yeah, one is one is the the Asian of the twelfth champion of the twelfth chalice, yeah, and it's, it's Asian of the twelfth chalice. No, I think it's actually Asian of of the twelfth staff, and Asian of the twelfth sword, because the Asian of the twelfth chalice is actually involved in a job quest in Stormblood, I believe. Uh, or, Interesting. Or Heavensward. So basically. With these Asian, you know, we, I think we're getting clues about like Asian hierarchy because only one of them we've met so far has a name, and these guys don't. Uh, they don't have cool, unique red masks. They have normal black masks, and they basically show, just show up and say, "Ah, Lord Lahabrea was simply testing you, testing your strength." Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> what? yeah it's why does it need to test why why is this okay here's here's why this is so flimsy right you killed ifrit you already beat ifrit and you also already beat a challenge he personally set in Todorak. so what was this some lady yeah it's just some lady i i don't really i it was just it was another way to test your strength adventurer it's 
Whatever. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I am fully pilled on the, like, no, this was just a side dungeon they they shoved in here to fill time. And, like, yeah. I don't know. The Asians did it to uh, test your strength. There we go. Put it in. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Listen, these two, these two were supposed to kill you, and they were, like, just trying to cover it up for themselves. Like, oh, yeah, was, we, we didn't even want to kill you, actually. Oh, yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> so this is when another really, really funny thing happens. So you go back to Urendel. Uh, and tell him I, 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 I killed her I put her down the hawk manor is, is no longer a house of murder and he says oh thank goodness I'm gonna turn myself in <laughs> I'm just turning myself into the cops Great. I'm going to prison see you later you know and you're never seeing him again if you hadn't stayed silent for so long you probably wouldn't be if you'd have just been like hey uh, the lady I worked for started murdering people. They would have been, oh shit, we got to go deal with that. Instead of like, hey, the lady I worked for was murdering people, and also I didn't tell you for two years or whatever. And they're, that they're probably going to be like, well, okay, it's odd choice, sir. I guess you are going to jail. Uh, yeah, right. You know like... what? So here, you know, it's really, really funny that a pattern I'm noticing in an ARR. Whenever you encounter a guy who's like done something wrong or whatever, because it keeps coming, it came up in Limsa with the uh, with the guy who was who was uh, smuggling the the former serpent reaver, and it also came up with that spy in the Sylph quest. And now here is that whenever you <laughs> bust somebody up and like blow up their spot, they're like, ah, geez, you're right, I did do a wrong thing. Better go turn myself in. Bye. Yeah, better go turn myself into the cops. I'll never be seen again. Bye, everybody. Like, what? Okay, whatever, man. Like, sure. It's so funny. Well, actually, one of them will be seen again. Unfortunately, we're not going to say which one. Maybe that guy. Maybe that random dude from the Limsa starting quest will be back. Who can say? Who can possibly say? He'll be back to his orange stealing ways. So anyway, you get him in Philia, and she just goes, "Huh." That's weird. That's weird. Thanks for taking care of that, I suppose. I guess, why are they testing you? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, <laughs> I guess they're on the move. She, they, they really try hard to have her justify, like, oh, geez, if they're openly telling you that you, they're testing your strength, they must be planning something big. I was like, how did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, they must, they must really be up to some, some bullshit right now, and maybe they are, perhaps. It's we'll... like it's like we'll the thing. Know. It's like the thing from fucking Buzzfeed Unsolved. Like I've connected the dots. I've connected them, and the other guy goes, "You haven't connected shit." L- literally, literally. But yes, Man, that's that's, th- Hawk, that's Hawk Manor. That's everybody. literally all of the Hawk Manor quest line. It's very short and confusingly paced, and doesn't really fit in here. Uh, but don't worry if you if you if you feel like ah oh, geez, this was a real short quest line. Don't you worry. The next one is coming up, and yeah. the next one spans six levels of the MSQ. Oh yes, next time we're delving into Titan Quest, and ooh, ooh boy, this is uh, perhaps this is this is. Can you believe this is where the fucking free trial used to end? Yeah, the free trial used to end. Uh, didn't it end? It was thirty after you, you do. No, you wasn't. You don't even fight Titan. It ended at level thirty. That's so funny. Like, oh my god, that's awesome. Bad, bad selling point. Honestly, 
Yeah, yeah. It was not not a great place to end it, frankly. Listen, if you know what we're talking about, you'll know exactly what... This is probably the most infamous part of Around We Born, I would say, like... It is. It is. And it used to be way longer, apparently. Oh, yeah. It is. This is, this is, this is Titan this Quest, is, like, like, compressed. Yeah, this is the abridged yeah, this is version. The... <laughs> this, is the, this is Titan Quest Kai uh, that we'll be talking about <laughs> next week. But that's next week. Uh, so, obviously, this episode is going to run real short. So, I thought instead of just jumping right into the spoiler zone here, I want to talk a little bit about who actually wrote A Realm Reborn. Because we've been talking about the writing and stuff. And obviously the thing about it is there are a bunch of people who's there's probably a bunch of people who have ideas and contribute stuff. Like I don't think this guy this guy obviously didn't write all of the side quests or the job quests. I would have to do a little bit more digging to find that out. And additionally, there's the second voice overlaid over his, which is the localization. Um, yes. Which, uh, and we'll get to a point later in the Realm Reborn post patches where the localization definitely overstepped some things and, and muddied some stuff. Yeah. They had no, we'll, to we'll, get, s- we'll get to Koji Fox's contributions yeah. later, don't you worry. But the man who wrote A Realm Reborn's main scenario quest is Kazutoyo Mahiro, who has been with Square for a very long time. He started all the way back. So the thing about him, right? He is normally not a writer. It's not like he doesn't do writing. He has plenty of writing experience. In fact, his main writing credit before Final Fantasy XIV was... uh, Oh, never mind. He didn't write on Vagrant Story. He was just the designer and map director. So he didn't actually... This was his first writing credit that I can see here. Mm -hmm. And, like, the, the, the you know, this is also only... Uh, this list is only Final Fantasy games. If I come over here, I can see more. Uh, although it seems like he has pretty much only worked on Final Fantasy games since 1997 when he was one of the planners on Final Fantasy Tactics. And that's like a thing where like... So he's credited as event planner, and that must be like a Japanese game dev term that I just don't really understand what it refers to. Because like, maybe maybe this is like designing encounters or whatever or like side quests i don't really know what it means but regardless he was that for vagrant story he also directed vagrant story which is like a it's like a cult classic square jrpg um he was the battle designer for final fantasy 12 but the main thing so so he is the main scenario writer for a realm reborn and the the 3.0 3.0 section of Heavensward. Uh, he did not write the post-Heavensward stuff. He only wrote 3.0, the, the proper Heavensward, which kind of makes some of the holes in Heavensward's story make more sense when I re- when you realize the guy who was writing Heavensward also wrote everything in A Realm Reborn. Because there's some painting out of a corner that happens in heavensward that we'll get to later that is extremely that sticks out like a sore thumb um yeah yeah heavensward is is notable for being a massive jump in quality in the overall msq's story both in content and pacing but yeah it it has to make up for some choices in the 
2.x patches yeah that, yeah well we'll get to that we'll get to that now obviously i think a lot of the jump in quality between a realm reborn and heavensward can mostly be chalked up to a realm reborn is 50 levels and has to cover all of eorzea yes and it was made in less than two years <laughs> and it was also a rush job heavensward is 10 levels of, of content and it's a story about Ishgard and basically only Ishgard. Yeah. So much more focused, much more better idea of the kind of story he wants to tell. Like around reborn is just so rushed and it feels like he's, he is like chasing the story out of his own hand almost. Um, yeah. It's, it's very utilitarian is the thing like errors. Yeah. MSQ I feel is. Oh yes. Quite like, um, it's basically pure exposition until the post patches. Like the post patches were stories are actually able to be told. And characters are kind of established, but we have no time to do that shit for the most part in a realm reborn. We have we have time for like three characters, maybe. Yeah, it's it, there's not a lot of room, and it tries to fit in a lot because the problem the problem is you have to reintroduce pretty much everything that people would have learned in 1.0 into ARR because 1.0 won't exist anymore. So they have to reintroduce everyone and try and tell a new story at the same time. And it's not an easy story to tell. It is a complicated story. Oh. It is like the story of a world that has been upended and all of this like big, important, you know, political and like subterfuge style stuff is going on. You know, there, there, there's a thing we talked about uh, in the Archon lectures before the podcast proper actually started uh, when we when we covered 1.0. And uh, the thing is, when um, when Yoshi P got brought on as the sort of head of the team, um, he went and uh, sort of organized the structure of ARR's sort of rebuilding of the game in an extremely utilitarian manner, like dividing every task into the smallest possible iteration of that task, and then just being like, okay, how much can we get done in the smallest amount of time possible um, while still maintaining like the quality required for it to be a good experience? And that sort of, it leads to a lot of decisions, and I think certainly one of them probably was to give us sort of the the Campbell's condensed soup version of this storytelling. Yeah. And so as a result, a lot of ARR is extremely unbaked. The villains are generic. Uh, the story is all over the goddamn place. And it's, uh, it's sort of like, I don't know. Uh, but the interesting thing here is that he he stepped away from writing after heavensward he was development supervisor from the uh heavensward post patches up through stormblood and then he stepped away from the game entirely his only credits on the rest of final fantasy 14 are under special thanks which means he probably didn't touch those at all he was just like hey this guy wrote arr we'll give him a special thanks that's because i presume Around 2017, 
someone at Square said, hey, we need to start thinking about Final Fantasy 16. Because he is the creative director and writer for Final Fantasy 16. Which I think is very interesting when you look at the tone and kind of story that Final Fantasy 16 seems to be trying to tell. Final Fantasy 16 is like Final Fantasy trying, finally going like, they're going to do dark fantasy, like Witcher style stuff, right? Summons are these huge beasts that that take up the entire battlefield they're these huge monsters it's a it's it's basically it's a pure action rpg seemingly like it's like a devil may cry game almost um and everything looks very very dramatic and like fuck the crystals and all that shit um i am i am looking forward to seeing what final fantasy 16 brings and seeing if like his writing will have will be a have a better place in a game like that with much more time to devote to it he's had a long time to work on this game yeah he's had a long time to work on this game and i think that like that extra amount of time and the experience that he's gained in uh his time working with final fantasy 14 i think is going to contribute a lot because the bones of ARR and the the bones of ARR I don't think are bad. Like I I genuinely don't. I think that the story that ARR is attempting to tell and the one that it sort of it does it a little bit of of a disservice um just based on the nature of the thing, but I I think the bones are there that you have like an interesting like dynamic going on between like the Asians and the Garlians and the various Eorzean peoples and and whatnot and it trips and stumbles many many times but the core ideas of it are not bad and you can really see that a lot of the sort of uh bones of what uh of what he like wants to write you know show quite heavily in heaven's word itself because heaven's word is like you know it it takes it takes place in a very like similar kind of like low fantasy like gothic like down down downtrodden-y kind of thing it's got like these you know these real like heavy like I, i almost wanted to say like like bloodborne vibes to it but only really visually a little bit but you get what i'm saying it is it's a darker expansion than a lot of the rest of the game really is it's like it's very much like a, a low point like emotionally um in the story which is interesting i think that's i think it's really cool about heaven's word and that's why i think it's still a lot of people's favorite part of the game even now yeah um yeah i think you can see the like dark fantasy stuff trying he wants to do it and often here it comes off as clumsy and edgy right whereas if you are given time to give these concepts like the weight they are owed then i could see it working but as it is it's just sort of like sometimes you get slapped in the face by that shit it's like what what just happened yeah, so I, I'm definitely excited to see what he does with 16. 
so that that is the writer once again uh that is uh that is i, I tad away from it Katsu, katsutoyo mahiro so keep an eye on 16 i guess but yeah we're not done here yet uh after the as uh, the spoiler zone break here we're going to be talking about the times when the game really leans into horror and really goes hard in it uh in my opinion far more successfully uh yes so if you're all caught up or you don't mind spoilers we'll see you here in a little bit but if the if, if you're gearing up to get go on a titan quest well we'll see you next time yes but uh but yes for those of you who join us we'll see you on the other side <laughs> So, the game does have some horror elements every once in a while. We're talking about Shat- we're going to talk about Shatterbringers here mostly. I think is Yeah, Shatterbringers but- is where it gets the strongest, I think. But Heaven's Word's got a, a That's little true. bit. But I think so like with Heaven's Word obviously, I think there's a lot. That one's like It's like a um I wouldn't say it's one of the what are those Italian horror movies with the genre called? From like the seventies and eighties, like a Suspiria style thing. Yeah, very Catholic. Uh, yes, it's like it's like Catholic horror or whatever, right? Like Heaven's Word is all about like Catholic horror, and you've got like these, like, d- like dark like machinations of the clergy and stuff going on, and that's like its own genre of horror. But if you want to talk about like, like, like re like nat like gross like monstery like fucked up eldritchy horror that's where shadowbrainers really takes off i think and oh, I, and and walker to a, sim- yes. a small extent uh but the thing so one of the things i've always found fascinating about shadowbringer structurally is that it's basically another beginning like it's a it like the thing about shadowbringers right is that we, we've had we've had three we've had two expansions in a realm reborn right so we've had error we've had heavensward and we've had stormblood and you might think hey the scions are probably a pretty big part of that, right? And you would be fucking wrong as shit, idiot. No, they're barely in those stories. Yeah, they... Like, heavens were... like The scions stopped mattering, basically, after, uh, after like, Nanamo almost bites it, right? Yeah. Like, Nanamo almost bites it, you go on the lamb... You go to you go to Ishgard and like Alphano's there and you got to Taru, but that's kind of it Yishtola, as far as science are concerned. Yishtola well, enters in the later half of the story, but that's the thing, right? There are scions of the seventh dawn, as in members of the faction, the scions of the seventh dawn. But the or, the organization itself is largely absent. I mean, they're almost completely like not a presence in Stormblood, even more so than Heavensward. Um Yeah. Because even in Heavensward, they a lot of the post Heavensward patches are actually about the Scions, which is interesting because do you want to know who wrote 
patches 3.2 and 3.4? Uh, I've got a I've got a good guess, but why don't why you tell me? it's Natsuko Ishikawa who also wow. wrote the uh, the Doman half of Stormblood, which may clue you into why Stormblood's so weird because guess what? It had two writers. Yeah, two writers with very, very different... And weird how Doma was the good part of Stormblood. It's interesting. Um, yeah. She also wrote The Binding Coils, The Crystal Tower, and Omega. Those raids are all her. And she also wrote the job cla- the job quests for Rogue, the ARR Alchemist quests, and of course, Dark Knight. Yes, and all of those quests are ones that people have a fondness for, right? Like, all of those parts of the game, I know personally at least one person who thinks that that's, like, that's like one of their favorite parts of the game. They have, like, a deep fondness Are you for, talking about me and how much I love the Dark Knight quest line? Are you talking? Are you referring to me? Are you subtweeting me verbally? I, I, might, I might be subtweeting you, but, but yeah, it's, it's like th- these... Her writing is really good. Her writing's really good, and uh, I bet you can't guess what else she was allowed to write. Whoa, she was the main scenario writer for Shadowbringers, and then they said, hey, just just be in charge of the whole thing, and they promoted her to lead story designer for the post-patches of, Heaven, of Shadowbringers and Endwalker. Um, yeah, which worked out very well, by the way. So yeah, but we I kind of got off topic here talking about how... Sh- yeah, so basically Shadowbringers is like, a new beginning. It's about the science again. You almost you even get like reintroduced to all the science almost, right? Because they they've been apart for so long, and you you kind of go around collecting them, right? And it's like, hey, I'm written better now. Let's meet again. Exactly. <laughs> That's basically, what happens? Yeah, um, you, you get the gang back together more or less. But I think one of the big things that Shadowbringers does very well is that it is like, if you want to talk about dark fantasy i think shadowbringers is probably the darkest it it, it gets there are parts of Endwalker that are also quite dark but shadowbringers overall as the name implies is like it is you you are on a an alternate world where almost the entire planet is completely dead drowned in light except one continent and the people there are barely out in existence there are these creatures called sin eaters who were you soon find out have these truly nightmarish origins that that were uh, of how they how they reproduce basically and towards the end of shadow bringers there is this like terminal illness allegory almost shadow bringers is a is a is a story about like death and loss and grief in a lot of ways uh yes thematically textually visually like it's all over the goddamn place it is it is like everyone in it is dealing with death and loss and grief at all times like you have this entire society on a almost completely dead like earth you have that they're they're barely surviving and even the people who are surviving are being torn apart and turned into uh, more like horrible monsters. Because like if they if they touch you, if they if they 
stab you with like a sword or whatever that's it you're done it's gonna convert the inside of your body into like this white goo and you turn into like a a feather egg and it opens up and you're like this horrible monster and like you seemingly retain some amount of consciousness you still kind of understand what's happening but you're entirely powerless to do anything but these basal instincts to attack and like feed on people yeah and it, it's it's this it's real it's some real heavy stuff and there are the scenes in shatterbringers where that is like ruinously effective like you you have like of course the scene with um with alice which ugh. that that scene is is the infamous like welcome to shatterbringers moment where it's this up until this point, it's like it's this very touching sort of sequence about what Alice has been doing since being transported uh, to to Norvrand, and and she elected to like basically be help a a, a hospice care uh, place out in the middle of the desert where people are slowly dying from the sin eater sickness, where like they maybe got glancing blows or something, and they did not turn right away, but they are just like slowly fading that's a whole other thing we're like yeah when people start to get to the end stage and like you can see the end the the like sin eater stuff starts start to happen we slip them some poison in their favorite food so they can die peaceful it's like jesus fuck that's yeah a lot. no it, it, it's it's heavy it's really heavy and there's a bit later on in the game where there's basically an all-out assault on the crystarium in lakeland and almost the entire guard of of the crystarium gets killed like they're absolutely massacred hundreds of people dying all around you and there's very little you can do it's 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 a really really good sequence actually it feels genuinely very hopeless because like even if you are the warrior of light even as strong as you are and the scions are like you you cut one down there's eight more in every possible direction killing people and you can't do it fast enough you can't stop them in time and you just keep getting these scenes of like these poor helpless like regular people trying to defend themselves and they just are not capable of of fighting this like we're we're talking about normal humans with like spears and bows and arrows trying to fight against like eldritch abominations and and they just can't they just can't hack it and no matter how much you help them they 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 still lose like almost everybody and i mean there's there's dozens of of these examples we can pull from right like the teslin's transformation which is basically all on screen you get to see her face melt isn't that great um, oh yeah then she's a, then she's the second boss in the first dungeon isn't that wonderful by the way first dungeon also very effective upon first run through where it's just like it's a town being raided by sin eaters and you just see corpses everywhere everything's on fire people are fleeing people are being turned into sin eaters yeah holminster switch was a vibrant trading community and in the course of one dungeon it is literally wiped off of the map then there is uh ilmeg and titania who has these like bizarre j-horror jump scare moments where she's talking into your brain and it gets weirdly close on her face uh oh, there's yeah. there's like it, there's there's a lot of stuff there's the entire amarat thing where you just once again you watch an entire society get destroyed in in moments um i mean there's there the the reveal 
of what's go- been going on in Yulemore is like a classic like Soylent Green type situation where you learn what meal is and how yeah. and how um, Vothry has been hold- you know keeping sway over all these people for so long and like why he can control the sin eaters and all of this like it there there's a lot of stuff like that where it is it is a different kind of dark fantasy right where a realm reborn when it wants to go dark it it goes for the more gritty the more visceral like real stuff right it's sort of sort of like a cheapened berserk uh in terms of like it's it's very clumsy but like it knows that stuff like that is effective in making in eliciting emotions out of people. Yeah, very much a lot of a lot of the stuff that ends up happening in ARR that's trying to be gritty and real a lot of times comes off as very like we live in a society, you know. Yeah. Um but Shadowbringers is much more it it it's much more first of all baked in thematically and also just like it's a little more high concept right uh, of of what's going on here uh and i mean the the, the tragedy is all around the role quests all center around the struggles of one of ardbert's band and none of and you know where all of those stories end like the the, the conclusion is foregone uh their their bodies have been hijacked by sin eaters who are wearing their skin and wreaking havoc and they're remembered as like the villains who ended the world um yeah the crystal exarch is another like so the crystal exarch is another thing right where he is from a doomed timeline and he is he has basically resigned himself to dying to save a world he never really knew and a person he looks up to a lot and you have this like ageless there's a lot of body horror with him too he right because there's a lot of it's like the more he spends time with the crystal tower the more it absorbs him like he he becomes one with the tower yeah as as he takes from the tower the tower takes from him right is is sort of the whole thing so his body is slowly crystallizing and of course in the uh in, in the patch quest after uh shatterbringers proper you know he that that process gets accelerated very 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 quickly as uh you know somebody else happens to be using the tower quite a lot yeah but like the, the, the so shadowbringers is it is an it, it is the watershed for final fantasy 14 um even even in terms of it's like it it has a lot of concepts from past expansions that didn't really work but does it much better for instance the unwinnable boss fight in shadow in in stormblood whenever xenos shows up it didn't often doesn't feel like an actual boss fight you can't win it's just one of these things where you in in part of that's because the fucking encounters go on for so long yeah they go on for so long and it just arbitrarily cuts you off like i remember that pissing me off so bad when i played through stormblood the first time because i was i was kicking xenos's ass in that scene with the with the ambush and then it just the game was just like not nope, sorry you so lose. Actually, actually he had another sword but with ranjit who is a very similar similarly set up character and that like you can't fight this guy you just gotta run the encounters are much faster. The stakes are much more clear, and the ends are much more like, "Oh, you can't actually beat him right now." 
and also because sometimes he does he does just run uh like in his fight with thancred he retreats at great personal cost to thancred obviously um and i think one thing that helps is that ranjit is a character who is trying to take someone you care about being being reen slash menphilia so like already the stakes are much more personal than like this guy just wants to fight you yeah which we'll get into the this guy just wants to fight you thing because i got plenty to say about that it's a very weak story concept but yeah like ranjit is like a way better way to do it frankly um and he's got his own horror elements going on too he's like consumed by this like dragon technique thing he has going on this like this this spirit helper that that sort of like is kind of feeding off of him a bit and and really the thing the thing that always gets me um from like a high concept horror thing about shadowbringers is the amarat stuff because you end up in this this really interesting thing where you have the Asians, who are this this mysterious force that you just you didn't really know anything about. The game did not explain very much about them. Um, really, they just are sort of like behind the curtain style, like rubbing their hands together, like pure evil guys. Nothing too complicated, but it turns out that it is more complicated than that. And to, to you know, working on the the themes of like grief and loss and death and whatever, you know, you have this group of people who are all that's left of an entire world and they have absolutely refused to give up the idea of bringing it back ever no matter what cost it takes to get there like in a lot of ways you know Emmett Selk ends up being like your dark mirror uh, in fact, even in the just before the uh, the last trial of Shadowbringers, before uh, he takes you to the dark and then tries to kill you, like he says, you know, let us see who who the victor is. You know, one of us is going to be labeled the hero, and one of us is going to be labeled the villain. Who gets to write history? Because you're both kind of trying to do the same thing. You're trying to save your world and whoever wins that fight gets to determine which world should be saved it's it's a situation that's really gray it's 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 really it's there's there's a real horror to that right like even you as the good guy like you you're correct in what you're doing but in doing the thing you're doing you are damning this entire world of people to never ever coming back that they're they're destroyed they're destroyed forever because you're getting rid of basically the only person capable of ever fixing that problem but of course fixing that problem means that you die and all of your friends and loved ones die so you know the the cosmic horror elements are really strong and uh it's definitely like one of the strongest points uh, of the writing uh, of the expansion, I think. And the cosmic horror only intensifies in Endwalker. So obviously it's not just cosmic horror, right? It's also... The, 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 the Thavnair bit in the middle is very much similar to the stuff in Holminster Switch, where it's just this 
Except it's much longer and, and much oh, yeah. more harrowing. Like if honestly. you think if you think Holminster um, Switch is bad, because like, you actually like Thafnir, you actually spend a good amount of time in Thavnir as it is normally. Like you get to see all of the people living regularly, and so you just watch as this place is burned and so many people die. And like there's a, there's another thread of like. The Sin Eaters are, are body horror, and while the transformation into, like, these these creatures in Endwalker isn't quite as visceral, it, I think it is more effective just emotionally, because oft, oftentimes, unlike Sin Eaters, who eventually, the, the human part of them stops, like, being a thing. Uh, Tezleen is still fresh enough where she begs you to kill her in Holminster Switch, which is, once again, lo- lovely. Um... But, like, soon they just become dead-eyed Sin Eaters, like the one who got Tesleen, the, the, the lady from the trailer. The monstrosities in Walker never really stop being people, which well, is part of the horror element they don't, of them. Right? Like, the whole thing with blasphemies is that the the fucking oh what is it called the like the dark the 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 the, dy- the dynamis the dynamis fucking takes over it it snuffs out that person's entire being like typically in final fantasy 14 you have like a soul basically you're like a little orb that lives in you and goes to the mm-hmm. ethereal sea afterwards made of made of ether of course um but when you get turned into a blasphemy that is snuffed out like a candle it's gone forever there's nothing left of you and what the blasphemy ends up being is this like horrible warped like echo of your of your most horrible despair like just before you died like like that's like you start despairing it turns you into this and that last moment of you being at your lowest ever of you being so full of despair and and hopelessness that's the only thing left of you uh forever it's it's kind of horrifying right and obviously like anime fighting against entropy with the power of the human spirit this is not anything new there are plenty of stories about that but I feel like Inwalker is the one that really gets down to its most visceral thing and also is the one that's like, yeah, shit, ultimately we can't stop this. But you know what? Fuck it. We're, listen, We're still we, gonna be we here. still have to try. And and that's kind of one of the through lines between Shadowbringers and Endwalker is that despite, you know, despite everything, you still have to try. Uh, no matter how hopeless it is or what the end outcome is, you should always try. And that's like... It's, 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 it's the sort of silver lining, the beautiful bright edge to the the, the sort of deep dark horror of the thing. Um, tonally speaking, I think it ends up working out great because despite all these horror elements, uh, it's never the light is never snuffed out entirely. It become you know, it's it's like the light is always brightest when surrounded by darkness and and that's and that's sort of the way that these expansions are written it it gives these moments of hope uh, a lot more contrast and gives them like so much more emotional impact because everything else is so dire and bleak as with many stories about someone with a huge sword fighting against loss and grief uh and like the end of the world shadowbringers and i guess to a lesser extent and walker but mostly shadowbringers there was a lot to berserk 
uh, in that in that manner, right? Because the thing about Berserk that oftentimes its reputation doesn't actually let you know because for some reason it has attracted a lot of people who stop reading in the middle of it who just think it's like edgy manime shit. It's like, oh man, fucking dudes getting split in half with a big sword and fucked up shit happening. It's great. But actually what berserk is about is healing after trauma a a beautiful a beautiful concept for your comic frankly i haven't read it but it sounds good and don't don't get me wrong berserk is full of some fucked up shit but like it's not just a parade of misery there's there's a there's an end point to that parade of misery that says like you you can move past it with help from the people around you yeah, Which is also that, that's always important, right? It's very important that I think if you're going to tell a story with deep, dark pits of despair and horrible, like eldritch monstrosities in it, you gotta have those rays of hope. You have to have the contrast. The contrast is what makes it effective. The contrast is what gives you that. It's the emotional roller coaster that makes it so effective like you want to take somebody and you want to throw them on the floor and then pick them back up and throw them harder and then pick them back up and then throw them as hard as you can the third time and then and then you lift them all the way up into the sky like it's it's that makes stuff emotionally impact you it's that it's it's the one-two punch kind of situation and I mean, I didn't even talk about a lot of the sort of Geiger-esque environments oh, that yeah. you encounter early on in Endwalker with Van Daniel's towers and like the whole the whole thing of like his towers themselves are like the there are people embedded in the walls having the faith sucked out of them. Like it's all very nasty and goopy stuff. And you know, all of that is a all of that is a fair step away from a luigi's mansion with a it is it is the game really refines its concepts of horror as it goes on like you get so many different kinds of horror and done in so many different ways and i'm personally very excited to get to all of them they're they're some of the best parts of this game frankly i'm not really what i would call a horror aficionado or anything but i'm very appreciative of a good bit of contrast and a lot of times it delivers on that very well but you know what's really scary what's that fetch quests no next time we are going to be doing the i think we should just do all of titan quests in one go that probably will not have a spoiler zone because we're going to be talking about a lot of shit oh yeah we're going to talk about all of titan quest and we're going to talk at least a little bit about what titan quest used to be so be fucking get ready to buckle up for that one so in two weeks you will hear us bemoan our lots and lives most likely um Funny enough, I didn't even bring up the the most current stuff with the void, but that's mostly because I don't know what's going on in there yet. <laughs> yeah, neither of us have done six point two yet, but we'll we'll get there. So like, there's there's probably some spooky shit going on in there. I wouldn't know. Um, there's like a a cool sexy psych lady though. She's neat. Oh uh, yeah, can't wait to get to that lady. But until then, I've been one of your hosts, Nero, and I've been the other host, Jane. And we will see you in the fields of Eorzea, adventurers.